Good morning. Come on, now act like you got Jesus in you. Good morning. There we go. Amen. Look at that. Amen. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, we, um, we had a baby dedication this morning, which was so good in the first service, because baby dedications are so biblical. You know, when Hannah gave birth to Samuel, she dedicated him to the Lord. And so I'm thankful that this is a church that we get to. We, get to, we don't have to. We get to do baby dedications. We get to, I get to grow older and do this and be like, I remember dedicating you. You know, and so I get to be that guy when we're all old and stuff. So, Father, I just thank you for this word. It's going to come straight from you. I'm going to get out the way. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. To this day, if, you got, if we were to lay out a hundred pieces of paper with um, handwriting on it, to this day... Uh, I could pick out which one belongs to my mother. Anyone else? Right? They just know their mother or their father's handwriting. Like, you know your parents' handwriting. Like, if you were to, if you were to give me 100 pieces of paper with different things wrote on it, I can go through all 100 and be like, that's my mom's. That's my mom. I know that belongs to my mother. Like, I know that through and through. Because I've tried to forge it a couple times, you know, in the past. In the past. So I know... <laughs> Which ones is my mom's, you know? If, if I had a, a bad grade and it needed to get signed, dad was signing it, you know? And if it was a good grade, mom was signing it. But I know my mother's handwriting. I remember growing up with my brothers and sisters, and um, if you're a parent, you understand this. If you're not a parent, you will understand this. But I remember making a mess and my mom knowing exactly which one of us did it. Like, she just knew. She'd be like, Jeremy, come clean up your mess. How'd you know you weren't even in the house? How do you know it was me? It could have been David. Nope, that's your mess, you know? And, and she's just good like that, you know? And now that I'm a father, I understand it because I have three daughters, and I know my daughters by their mess, right? So Ava's mess is an organized movie set mess because she's always setting up a scene, that's how she plays with her toys. It's like a scene, and there's a living room, and there's sitting, and people, and like, so it's an organized mess. Uh, Sophia's more, I mean, Izzy's more of a, um, I'm going to play with one thing, and then throw it somewhere, and then play with the next thing, and then throw that somewhere else, and then play with one thing. So I know if there's random scattered toys throughout the house, I'm like, this is Izzy. And Ava, it's like random little sets around the house, and that's Ava. Now, my smallest, my one-year-old Sophia, she is just chaos, like unadulterated chaos. She's going to go kick down all the other scenes and all the other toys, and she's going to snatch it. And then, like, she's one, but she's got a little sass to her. Like, she snatched something out of my hand the other day, and she looked at me like I owed her money. She was like, <laughs> like, I wish you would reach back for this. And, and she's one. And, like, I'm like, that's, that's, me. <laughs> That's not even, I can't even blame your mother. That's me. So she just snatches stuff and she just looks at me like, go ahead, reach for it. See, see if I don't come and pull you by your nose. And so I get it. I get it. And so I realize, and, and I think as you being a child and one day if you want to be a parent, you'll be a parent, like we start to notice our relatives or our parents or our brothers and sisters, their fingerprints throughout life. We know who does what, how they do it. Like, I know my mom's fingerprint in my life. And, like, if you see me standing up here today, I am a direct outcome of my mother's fingerprint in my life, of her being up at, like, 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning praying over me and over our brothers and sisters. Everyone has a fingerprint. Everyone leaves a fingerprint. And a fingerprint is an impression from your hands. Fingerprint comes from your hands. So when you put your hands on anything, there is a fingerprint, you know? So much so that when a scene happens, what's the first thing that the police look for? Fingerprints. Did you leave behind a fingerprint? I, th I believe that there are many times in our Christian faith when we go through trials, tribulations, and challenges, and we'll go, God, where are you? Where are you? 
I can't sense you. I don't think you're moving. Did you go on vacation? Did you forget about me? What happened? I'm going through a circumstance right now, and I can't see what's going on. I don't understand what's going on. Where are you? Have you given up on me? Anyone else have those prayers? Oh, okay, I'm by myself. I have to pray those by myself. All right. And we have those prayers and we get to those moments where we're going through a tough season and a hard season and we can't see God moving in it and we think he's abandoned, abandoned us. We think he's forgotten about us because he brought us all this way just to forget about us. We feel disconnected from him. But the truth is that if we, play, if we pay close enough attention you can see God's fingerprints in every situation we go through. You can see it. And sometimes, most of the time, it takes us some, some moment, some, some time away from the situation to see it, right? We'll never see it in the moment. We never see his fingerprints in the moment because we're so focused on the chaos that may be going around. Our marriage may be failing. Our businesses are failing. You're not making the money that you used to make. Their bills cost more than what you're bringing in. And so in the, your kids are acting crazy. School, you have all these things to do, and you're like, God, where are you? I thought you had your hand on my life. And then we go through the situation and then it's a couple months later or even a week later and you sit down and look and you're like, oh, there's your fingerprint. I didn't see it there. I didn't see your hand there. I didn't see that you took that away from me, but you kept me from the pain that it was going to bring. I didn't see your fingerprint that when I should have got a divorce, you somehow turned this around. I didn't see your fingerprint there. I didn't see your fingerprint when I was about to lose all my money with this great investment. I didn't see your fingerprint there when you kept it from me. I didn't see your fingerprint when you removed this friend or relationship out of my life. I didn't see your fingerprint there. Because in the moment, we're so focused on ourselves. We're so inwardly focused. But if we pay attention, we could see God's hands all over the place. The title of this series is called Fingerprint, as you see on the screen. And what I want to do is open up in the book of Esther. Because throughout Esther's story, you will see a similar narrative throughout the entire thing. Now, let me be real with y'all. The book of Esther is a, it's like the, a miss, it's missing a puzzle piece. It kind of comes out of nowhere, right? It's just like, why is this here? Book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God or acknowledge God at all in the entire book. It doesn't say anything about God in the entire book of Esther. But throughout the entire book, even though it doesn't mention his name, you see the providence of his fingerprints all throughout the story. It's just out of place. It's just this weird biblical narrative. And then it's the title of a female, the book is the title of a female. And on that day, if you had a book, it's a big deal. It's like, oh, this is named after a female. Let's set the scene. I want to set the scene with you guys, right? This is during the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, King Xerxes has come into reign. Uh, if you read the book of Nehemiah, we see that Jews had the options to stay in Persia or go back to Jerusalem because in the book of Nehemiah, the wall has been rebuilt. And so they have the option to go back to Jerusalem to worship or they have the option to stay in Persia. Now, some Jews decide to go back and some Jews decide to stay in Persia under King Xerxes rule. And so now you have to understand that the Jews at this time were not seen as equal citizens to the Persians. In the hierarchy of things, the Jews were not slaves, but they weren't, like, thriving. They were like, okay, you guys are under us. You're not at the top of, the, at the top of this triangle. We are. And so now I'm going to go now. And so now as King Xerxes is reigning, I'm going to give you a spark note version. Well, I feel dated when I say that. <laughs> spark notes. Does anyone know what spark notes is? Whew, thank God. All right, I was about to be like, oh, spark notes. Um, so the spark note version of chapter one is that King Xerxes comes into power 
and he wants to show how wealthy and how powerful he is and how much he's he's done throughout the land so he wants to hold a birth he wants to hold a, excuse me a celebration and a festival for 180 days and in scripture it says that there was no there was no holdback he's like we're going to celebrate my glory for 180 days how exhausting is that I was at a kid's birthday party for an hour in the heat, and I'm like, I'm ready to go. Pack it up. I'm ready to go. 180 days. They're drinking. They're partying. They're eating. I mean, I couldn't even imagine what that's like. And so one day, King Xerxes is sitting down with his homeboys, homeboys being nobles and princes from all over his reign. And he's just like, listen, don't pull back. Have zero restraint. He's drunk. He goes, you know what? You know what? Hey, go call my wife. Call her, bring her here, and I want her to stand in front of all of my friends. Bring her here with her royal crown, and I want her to stand in front of all my friends because I want to show off her beauty. No, this is not that type of thing. Some scholars say that he just wanted to bring her into the room and show her off to all his friends and be like, look how beautiful he is. Some scholars believe that he just wanted her to show up with her crown on only in her birthday suit, in front of all his friends. So what does she say? No. No, I'm not going to do that. You lost your mind. I'm here over here treating, I'm here taking care of all these other queens, and you want me to leave them to come up and just be in my birthday suit in front of your friends? No. That angers him. He gets angry. And so he declares this edict. Because he's angry because he feels ashamed. Because he's like, well, you're going to say no to me in front of all my friends. What are the other queens and princesses going to think like, oh, they can say no to their husband? So he issues an edict that says a, a man can run his house any way that he sees fit. And you have to know a thing about edicts is that once they're declared, they cannot be reversed. And then he deposes her. He's like, so much so, you can't be queen anymore. You got to step down. So we pick up in chapter 2. I'm going to read it. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what he had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of this realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who's in charge of the women. And let the beauty treatments be given to them. Then the young woman who pleased the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had to be carried, who had been carried into exile from Bought from Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar by the, by the king of the Babylonians. Among those taken captives was Jehokachin, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, she had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So what do we do? What happens? Now the king has a royal beauty pageant, right? Let's get some women to make queen. And I think sometimes in the Bible we see this as just what it sounds like. Oh, it's just, you know, he's looking for women. No. See, you have to understand that this royal beauty pageant wasn't what we think our minds want us to believe it is. See, you have to understand that most of these women were taken from their home. Okay, they weren't invited. It wasn't like, hey, come to this party. You may be queen. It's not a game show. You could win queenship. They were taken from their homes. They ran into homes, sold women in the street, and they just took them as if they were property. That's number one. Number two, they were, sorry. They were taken from their homes. Now, a lot for a lot of these women, you see, it was just, excuse me, it was, a, it, was, it was just 
a weird time because typically if you're a king during that time, you marry, royalty marries royalty. That's the way it works. I'm a royal, you're a royal, we're going to have royal kids, whatever. That's the way it works. But the weird thing about it is that he didn't go for royalty. He just went, he was looking for any woman. So now for him, he's just looking for any woman. Now for these women, they're like, okay, I'm going to go spend time with the king. I was chosen. The only one is chosen, so I'm going to go spend time with the king. So this is a point in my life where I could elevate my family. So for him, it was nothing. For the women, it was everything. I could, I could be a queen. It's going to elevate my family. I can protect my family. The third thing is that, unfortunately, a lot of these times during this beauty pageant, quote unquote, a lot of women would lose their virginity to the king in the process. They would lose their virginity to the king. So what happens is that the king would sleep with all these women, choose one, and then if you aren't chosen, no man wants you. No man would want you. So now you have all these women who are not queen, who have been violated, and now they're kind of like widowers because no man wants to marry them. And then all the women who weren't chosen, they would become concubines. They'd become concubines to the king. And then maybe they would get called back to spend time with the king. Maybe they would, the king would remember them and call them back. But other times than that, they would be widowed women with kids or not with kids, only to serve the king's pleasure. And if you're sitting here right now and you're listening to this story, and if you're tracking with me, you're probably saying, Pastor, where do you see God's fingerprints in all this? Because I sure don't. The way this story is being presented, I don't see God's fingerprints through all of this. So why are you telling me this story? Why are you bringing this to me? I don't see where Esther's winning right now. So my question that I really want to propose is when life throws unfavorable circumstances at you, will you allow God to position you for his glory? Will you allow it? Because I can guarantee you right now, Esther's probably like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a part of this. He's just going to use me. And if, I, if I'm not chosen to be queen, I'm just going to be thrown to the side. How many of us have been through that situation where it's just like I have, I'm just being used and now I'm just being, being pushed to the side? Or you know what? I'm in this unfavorable circumstance. I'm at this job that I hate. I'm in this marriage that I hate. I'm with these children who don't even listen to me. And I don't even know if I hate them or love them right now. I'm, 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 I'm surrounded by coworkers that I hate. Why am I in this unfavorable circumstance? Are you listening? Where are your fingerprints? Because I don't see them. I want to be real with you guys today. Sometimes God allows you to go through the pain because there's something that he wants to get out of you. Your pain has a purpose. God doesn't intentionally put you in the path of pain, but he goes, in this life is going to be hard. You're going to suffer. It's going to be tough. But take heart. I've overcome the world. So he allows, he allows Esther to go through this stuff and this pain of like, wow, I have to go through these beauty treatments and this pain of I have to go through all these things. And some of you guys can identify because right now you're working a job that you hate. If we're being really honest with each other, right? Right now <laughs> you have coworkers. You have coworkers that you hate. And you don't want to say hate because hate sounds really harsh. You're like, I strongly dislike them. But in your heart, you hate them. You look at your spouse and you hate them. And you don't want to say that, but you're like, that's my spouse. And you're like, I wish you would divorce me. Give me a reason for me to divorce you. Just give me a reason. And I'm gone. I'm leaving. You have kids that you're like, I don't even know. You don't even listen to me. Why am I wasting my time with you guys? 
And for a moment, we really believe that God has given up. In that moment, we really feel like, God, I, I, don't, I just, I don't think you're in this anymore. I don't think you're in this marriage. I don't think you're in this business anymore. I don't think you're in this. And, and I know you're not in it because I can't sense you. And see, that's, that's the thing so many times. We feel like when we can't sense God that his hands are not in it. But yet the scripture says, or excuse me, the song says he's got the whole world in his hands. How much more value do you have? He's got you in his hands. You're not, you know how many times when we go through life and we're like, God, take me out of this, right? Who's prayed that? God, pull me out of this situation. Pull me out of this marriage. Pull me out of this job. Pull me out of this school. Pull me out of it. Because when you pull me out of it, that's when I know you've rescued me. And God is saying, no, I've rescued you already. And I'm keeping you in this situation because I am with you. I'm keeping you here because there's something in you that needs to come out of you. I can't pull you out because guess what? I got no one else to put in but you. If I pull you out, everything that I'm doing in you is now gone. I need you to stay. God, I don't want to stay. I know. Jesus didn't want to stay on the cross. Think about it. Jesus hung up. He could have just been like, you know what? I'm tired of this. Nails? Are you kidding me? Spitting on me? Are you, are you for real? I don't want to do this. But it says the joy was set before him. Counting the shame of the cross, considered it glory. All of us want to be pulled out of situations. We just wish God would just yank out the situation or just have the situation go over us. And you're, God, you're saying, God, rescue me. He's like, I'm rescuing you, not because I'm pulling you out. I'm rescuing you because I am with you. Always. Even to the very end of time, I am with you. That is my rescue. That is your refuge. You don't walk alone. You walk with me. I can see Esther saying the same thing. God, pull me out. Pull me out of this situation. Let me go back to the house of my uncle. Pull me out. I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. This is, I don't want to be in this, this broken marriage. I don't, I'm tired of it. God, I don't want to be at this job. I'm tired of it. God, I don't want to be in this home. And here's some people pray this. God, I don't want to be in Memphis. I'm tired of it. Right? I know some of y'all laughing because you said it. Why am I in Memphis? I'm tired of Memphis. And God is like, did you forget what I said? What do you mean? I said, I have a plan and a purpose for you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. For I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper and not to harm you. But if you go through this walk thinking that Jesus is just going to prosper you from mountain to mountain, you have a false idea of who God is. Because the only way you appreciate the mountaintop is when you've been in the valley. And sometimes God needs you to walk through the valley because as you're coming out the valley, you don't understand why you went through the pain, but you'll be in the valley and be like, I don't get it. And then you'll get to the mountaintop and you're like, My kids needed me to go through that valley. My job needed me to go through that valley. My husband, my wife needed me to go through that valley because it put a new strength in me that I couldn't conjure up myself. My friend needed me to go through that valley so I could walk with her through her thing. But so many times we want to get pulled out. Pull me out, pull me out. Take me out, coach. And God, and God is like, no, I need you to stay in. Don't look at the scoreboard. I've already won. I need you to stay in. Keep running the play. Keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. It's confusing. I know it's confusing. I don't see you doing anything. Guess what? Nothing I do is con contingent upon what you see with your eyes. He never stops working. Are we willing to stay in the unfavorable, uncircum un uncircumstantial times? Are we willing to stay in the hard places? I can guarantee you Esther probably thought a, a dozen of times, God, if you, I'm your chosen person, just pull me out. This is too much. What if I don't make it? What if I just become a concubine? What if I'm just another one of these women? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? But she stayed with it. Here, we're going to keep on reading. It says, she pleased him 
and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Think about that. So not only is she going through an unfavorable situation, she can't even talk about her family background. So all her friends who are asking her, like, where do you come from? What's your background story? She can't even tell them. Every day he walked near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was doing and what has happened to her. Before a young woman's turn came to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for women, six months of oil and myrrh, six with perfume and cosmetics, and this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to care under the care of Shahagaz the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. See, you got to understand. You got to understand. Like some of us, listen, I've been in a job that I don't love. I was in relationships that I didn't love. I was in situations in the church that were difficult to be in. But you have to understand That God's fingerprint and his testimony is all over you. Do you want to know how I know this? It's because if you're going through your job and you're going through a tough marriage and you're going through a tough situation with kids and you're going through it tough financially, when people come to you and they say, I don't know how you're doing it. That is God's fingerprint all over you. Because she found favor where there was she didn't even want favor to be had. Some of you guys are at jobs and at workplace, and God has found favor on you. Your boss looks to you for responsibility. You have become the example. God has opened up doorways for you to have spiritual conversations with people who you would never give you the chance to have a spiritual conversation. And that favor is on you. There's a certain grace for every season. God gives you a certain amount of grace for every season. And if you just want to quit right now, sure, you can quit. Sure, you can leave if you want to. But I want to let you know, I'd rather be in the will of, in the most difficult of places and in the will of God than the easiest of places without the will of God. You can be in the hardest situations and be in the center of God's will and say, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know why I'm here, but I trust you. And some of us are in easy situations where everything comes our way and we're so far from the will of God. The will of God is not earmarked by an easy life. It's not that. I'm sorry. You've seen that preached somewhere else. If you're a Christian, life's supposed to be easy. You're supposed to prosper. Uh, huh? God doesn't guarantee prospering. He doesn't. He guarantees being with us through the suffering. A byproduct of my Christian walk isn't the material things that I own, but it's the lives that I've impacted in the name of Jesus. Because materials will come and go. Titles will come and go. Positions will come and go. But the peace and the will of God is forever. She found favor with the eunuchs in a hard situation. You see, if I'm going to be real with some of us, God has us in the situation that we're in. But the reason why we don't see the favor of God is because our attitude is terrible. I'm sorry, don't stone me. Why they got me doing all this? That's not my job. Why I got to, so-and-so said this to me, da-da-da-da-da. I hate being in this marriage. You see, look at the way he's sitting and eating. Don't he sit and eat stupid? (laughs) Look at the way she be just using our money. Your attitude can interrupt the favor God has on you. 
in the tough situations, do you ever find that in the tough situations at work, when a coworker's going through a tough situation, or a classmate's going through a tough situation, all these people going through tough, who's the first person they go to? The Christian, the believer. Hey man, I'm going through something right now. Could you just pray for me? I can't give you the details, but if you could just pray for me, I'd appreciate that. Hey, can, I'm going through something with my kids, and you know, I know you go to church. This is, what, this, this is actually what's said to me. I know you're a church guy. You know, I know you're a church guy. I know, I know you, you're a church guy, but if you could just, could you just throw one up there for the big guy, to the big guy for me? I literally have had a guy say that before. See, but if your attitude is terrible, no one's going to approach you. <laughs> no one wants to approach the grumpy Christian. No one. But when you live a life reflecting God's goodness and his mercy and his grace in hard situations. This is where believers naturally become leaders. Because while everyone is losing their mind in the chaos, we stand resolute in saying, God, you hold this all together. So I don't fear this valley. I don't fear the cutoffs. I don't fear the what they call divorce. I don't fear. I'm standing right here because I'm in the center of your will and I will not be moved. I am unshakable. And that's where people are like, wow, why are you so different? There's something different about you. And I want to be near that. I want to stay close to that. In this time, Esther, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure, like, she, she didn't, you don't hear her say God's name. She doesn't call out to God right here in the text. But you know there are times where she's like, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. I trust you. Verse 17. It's, um, sorry, verse 15. It says, when the turn came for Esther to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. What if we just won the favor of everyone who saw me? What does that look like in our marriage, in our workplace, in the school system? What if we just won the favor of everyone who was around us? And I'm not saying you got to walk around like you're on, walking on sunshine every day, right? That's not real. But what if we walked around and just been like, God, I, I, just, I just trust you. I just need your favor. And Esther... She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, in the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than any other woman, and she won his favor and approval more than any other virgins. So she was set a royal crown on her head and made queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave his a great banquet, and Esther's banquet, for all the nobles and officials, and he proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and the distributed gifts with the, ro- with the royals with liberality. Esther won favor in an unfavorable moment. She had favor in an unfavorable moment. And so many times, I can guarantee you, Esther was at this place of just saying, God, I don't, I don't know what to do, but I'm just here. And God's favor was upon her. And so many times I find that in parts of our life, we want the same thing. We want to see God's hand pressed on our lives and, and, and there and you know what? Let me just show you guys. I need three guys. Three guys come up here. Anyone? Don't. Not all at one time. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You do win a prize. I'm just kidding. You just get to be a part of this example. So, yep. I need one guy to stand right here. Stand right there. I need one guy to stand right here. Don't be scared. Come on. <laughs> He's walking slow like I'm going to put him in a chokehold. And then you can stand, stand right here. Right. There are times in our Christian, when we first become Christians, right, this is what it looks like. I'm with God. This is God. This is me. He's just answering all of my prayers right now. He's texting me all the time. I'm hearing his voice in every single thing that I do. Oh, my God, right? 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 And we're so close. We're so tight. I just, he just hears me, and I hear him all the time. And that's a beautiful time to be a Christian. It's a great time. He just, anyone have been, remember this moment when you first got saved and God is just answering all your prayers? But then what happens? Over time, you mature, you grow, your life develops, and God is just like, okay. And now you're like, okay, God, I don't know where to go. And he simply just goes, I'm right here. But I can't see you. 
I'm right here. You feel my hand? Right? I'm right here. And there are other times where he's just like, where are you? He goes, I'm right here. And every once in a while, in this phase of our Christianity, we just need a little tap. Okay, God, I, I know you're here. And then you grow older and mature, and, you stand, and you're standing in this life, and you're like, God, where are you? I need you. Can't, do you hear me? I, why aren't you showing up? And all he does is he just whispers, I'm with you. I've never left you. But so many, but see, and the thing throughout it is it's like we want to feel God and touch God and sense God. And we get to this point where he goes, is my voice enough? When I tell you, when you say, do I go to the left or to the right? And I say, this is the way, walk in it. Is my voice enough? Are we getting to this place in our walk with Jesus? We're just like, God, I don't need your hand. I don't need to hold on to you. I could just see your fingerprints and your voice is enough for me. Just give me one moment. Just say one thing to me. Because when your voice speaks to me, it changes everything in me. I am no longer the same because your voice has spoken life into a dead situation. And so I trust you when he just goes, see, so many of us, so many Christians, we, we just want to sense God. And God is like, I spoke life into existence. Hearing my voice is enough. And sure, there are times where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap you on the arm. And sure, there are times when I got to hold you through the storm. But most of the time, I want you to hang right here. Why? Because when you just listen to my voice... All the other loud voices go away. When you just listen to my voice, you, your faith grows exponentially. Because now, no matter what the circumstance, no matter all the storms that are going on, when he says, peace be still, everything must come under submission to that. Thank you guys. You guys may be seated. You see, God doesn't want to always have to touch you and, and miraculous things. See, and you're like, how do I hear his voice? How do I know he's whispering? Have you picked up the word? The very thing he leaves us. When he, he speaks, he speaks through this word. And he whispers just a small little whisper in that still small voice. He goes, I'm with you. I will never forsake you. Even into the ends of the world, I have never left you. And these are the times when it's the most powerful because so many times we want God to put his will in a neon sign in the sky. And God is like, no, I just want to talk to you. I want you guys to understand something today. That it's not the glitz and the glam and the big things that God does that really do something. It's in the small, intimate moments. When the world wants to get rid of you, he goes, I love you. Listen to me. Hear me. This is my voice. You're my child. I'm well pleased. I've learned in my life that there are many times when I'm going through a tough situation and I want God's hand to reach in and pull me out. He goes, I'm not going to reach in and pull you out. I'm going to look over you and speak to you. Be strong and courageous. But God, I'm so scared. I, like, I'm so scared. I'm nervous. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. I am for you. I see you. You are enough. You think I need the world to tell me I'm enough? No, I got the creator of the universe saying, you are enough. You have everything you need in me. God, just put your hands on me. No. I'm speaking to you right now. You walk in my favor. In you, I am well pleased. You see, I think so many times, and we say this in prayer, God... Silence all the other voices. Silence all the other voices. 
And he goes, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to train you to hear mine. What does scripture say? The sheep know my voice. As a parent, my children can yell my name in the middle of a crowd, and I know exactly. I'm like, that's my baby. My mom can call, my mom or dad can call my voice in the middle of a crowd. That's my mom, that's my dad. How much more does God want to stand in the middle of the crowd and he wants to say your name? And you go, my father's speaking, God is speaking to me. How do you know? You're in the midst of a financial teardown. Your kids are acting wild. Your marriage looks like you're about to get divorced. You're single. You're 30 and you're single and you're still not married. Oh, God. I know. And see, and those are the times when we can say, I know what God said to me. I heard it. Are you sure you heard? I know that's God. I know my father's voice. I could identify it in a crowd of voices. Verse 19, and then we're going to end. You guys hear me on that, right? Is that making sense? Is that making sense? I don't want to pursue the hand of God if I don't even know what he sounds like. Right? Some of us just want the hand of God all over our lives, but you don't know what his voice sounds like. That's so backwards to me. I want, to, I want to know his voice, and then his hand is an affirmation of what I'm hearing from him. I want to know his voice. I want to know when he's speaking. And then when I see him move, it's like, of course that's God. That's just how he moves. Of course that's my father. That's just how he moves. It says, when the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret of her family background and nationality, as Mordecai had told her to, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officials, officers, who guarded the door, doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Why would they do that? Because probably King Xerxes took their wives, sisters, whomever, as a concubine, so they're probably angry with him. That's, that's one of the reasons scholars believe that they were angry and wanted to assassin, assassinate him was that he took a family member of theirs. And so they, they, cons they conspired out a plot to kill the king, to assassinate the king. This is the point of integrity. This is the point of integrity, right? So Mordecai hears that they became angry and conspired to assassinate the king. And Mordecai had a decision to make in this moment, just like each and every one of us have a decision to make. Mordecai had a decision to make. He says, I can keep this information to myself and let them assassinate the king because my adopted daughter is the queen already. So if they kill him, I'm set. I'm squared away. I'm good. Or I could tell her to tell him. A lot of us are in this little integrity situation right now. Right? Because let me make it relevant. I could tell my boss, my supervisor, this is going to hurt us, or I could keep it to myself, let him get fired, and get his position. Oof. Oof. I could tell my spouse that this is going to happen, or I could keep it to myself and let them mess up and fall. I can tell my children what to do or what not to do, give them wisdom, and maybe it'll save them, or I could just not tell them, let them go through it, and then they're going to come back to me. We all have decisions to make. This was such a high-integrity decision. But what does Mordecai do? See, he goes, no, nah, let me tell Esther. And tell the king. Here's another relevant decision. I could curse the president and not pray for him and let him mess up. And then I could tell the other side how dumb they are for voting him in. Yet we're all on the same boat. In every situation, if your boss fails, 
you fail. If your spouse fails, you fail. If your kids fail, you fail. So why would we want to pray the downfall for someone who's over us when we're all in this boat together? Mordecai had a huge integrity decision to make, and so do we. Every single day, if you're planning the downfall of your boss, supervisor, wife, peer, whatever, if you're planning their downfall for you to succeed, guess what? You just cemented your downfall as well. But Mordecai does the honorable thing. He says, Esther, tell the king that there's an assassination attempt on his life. So the king goes out and he investigates and finds it to be true, and he kills the two men who wanted to plan his assassination. And so we reach the end of chapter 2, and we see Esther's the queen, Mordecai just saved the king, but yet they're still in an unfavorable situation. Do you know what I've learned in chapter 2? Whatever the situation is, good, bad, or indifferent, who I am in Christ Jesus will be the loudest voice to the world. Who Esther decided to be, the way she carried herself, who Mordecai decided to be, the way he carried himself, that was the loudest ministering thing that happened in Persia in that moment. So do I pray God pull me out of the situation? No. I say, God, I'm going to be in every tough situation that you bring me to because you are with me. And I know that you're with me, and I know that you strengthen me, and I know that you surround me. So, Lord God, in this moment, let me be a man or a woman of character. Let me be a man or a woman of integrity. Let me be a man or a woman of honor. Because even if they never hear the gospel come out of my mouth, they will see heaven on display. So who we are in the tough moments, the decisions we make in the hard moments, either point to God or point to ourselves. Do you guys receive that today? Could you guys stand with me? Could you play some music? I had a friend of mine, a coworker of mine, who um, he said this very profound thing. Um, his brother died two years ago and he was praying, God, why, God, why, God, why? And he said that in that moment, God spoke to him and said, don't say, don't say God, why? Say, God, come. God, come. Because guess what? We may never, ever, ever know why, but we can invite God into our now. I can guarantee you Esther and Mordecai didn't know what was going on. They were just like, we trust you. We're just gonna walk, we're just gonna walk in the ways that we know. I wanna pray for you guys today. Because who we decide to be in tough circumstances and unfavorable situations will show the world who we know God to be. Because everyone freaks out. But what if we were to stand firm and say, God, I trust you. I trust you. Even though it's hard and it's a burden and I don't get it and it's hurting me, I trust you, God. I trust that all of my pain has a purpose. You're not going to let my pain go by the wayside. You're not going to let me go through this pain for no reason. But this pain has a purpose. So use me, Lord. If you could use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my pain and use it for your glory. Let's pray. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, and he's not your personal savior, there's no fingerprints on your life of his glory. 
I'm sorry, there just isn't. But today is the day of salvation. So I want to pray for you. When you say, Lord, I'm giving you my life. I know you're not going to pull me out of a situation, but you're going to give me the strength to endure. I want to pray for those who want to rededicate their life to Christ because somewhere along the line, they allow the chaos and the mess of life to pull them away. And they say, Pastor, I need to rededicate my life. And the third group of people I want to pray for is for believers who are in this room and they're saying, Pastor, I have a lot of pain and I don't understand the purpose for it. So pray for me that God give me endurance to keep on going, to fight the good fight, and that I'm always listening to his voice. If you're one of those three people with every head bowed and every eye closed, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every person who said yes to you today, I thank you, Lord God, for saving them, that your fingerprint is now on their life. Father, I pray for every person who's deciding to turn back to you, Lord God, because the chaos of life has pulled them away. So I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you strengthen them to endure. Lord God, I pray for every believer that's been walking with you, Lord God, who are going through a hard season and they don't know where to go and they don't know what to do and they want to be pulled out of it. Lord God, I pray that you strengthen them, Lord God, with strength from on high. Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill them, Lord God, with strength, Lord. Fill them with strength, Lord God. Let them not understand where it comes from. So that, Lord, that whatever situation they're in, they're the Holy Spirit on display. I pray right now for every believer who's been walking with you, that you keep them and you strengthen them and that your countenance shines upon them. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name and everyone said. Thank you for listening to the Pioneer Church Podcast. Let's go one step further. Subscribe and share this podcast with family and friends and see how this word changes their life. At Pioneer, we believe in journeying together. If you want to support this ministry, go to pioneerchurch.com give to continue to help us to reach people for Jesus. Thank you again for listening and God bless you.